We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good. I'm so happy that we no longer have guests on the program, and it's just you and me every week. This is yeah, exciting. Yeah, well, so, uh, so people know we had to I, I had to push it back a day because I, I had to go to a Dune 2 screening for SF Gate, and also I'm going on vacation uh, on Thursday. So I'm like, you know me, I'm in pre-vacation mode. So like the idea of getting a guest <laughs> much, much too difficult. Much Drew's too difficult. Actually, to actually recording this podcast while wearing ski boots. It looks really uncomfortable. His ankles are in terrible pain. There's nothing he's better got, than got to get ready. I, I am going skiing. There's nothing better than like gearing up, to, like f- to go on the slopes because you feel like you're like you're like going to war. Like oh, yeah, here we go. Like getting the fucking boots on, and they're like. They're they're so tight they cut off your circulation and you're like walking around like like you're fucking RoboCop because you can't move your ankles at all. It's great. Feels Do you wear? Are you like a big? I know everybody that skis uh, now. It's different than it it used to be in the '70s where everybody would just like get zipped into some Maggie Simpson suit that was like extremely outrageous and had right. epaulets and all that. What is a what is a cool fellow like yourself? A cool young guy like you like me? What would you wear? when you're skiing these days is it like light performance gear or are you still going out there looking like a like i don't know cobra commander no so the bottom half i do the bottom half like a pro i bought burton snow pants at the rei and i brought them home and my wife was like you paid how much for those snow pants you're never gonna use them and i was like but they're my pants i deserve yeah. to be comfortable yeah i was like don't you tell me it's my wife my life woman and then i and they're actually they're they're really great because they have like five thousand <laughs> pockets and when you ski you need five thousand pockets and then up top i am layered in like like a sweat wicking long sleeve shirt a sweater and like a levi's jacket so the top is like i am not i don't fit into the the western skiing scene at all i don't have my gear together in that okay. regard but whatever. I have I and also I have goggles that don't fog. So that's very cool. That is I haven't skied since I was a young child and all I did was fall down and eat soup at the restaurant on top of the mountain sometimes but mostly just fall down. And I can't say I miss it exactly, but it is like it's a really cool experience. The parts where you're not falling down are pretty sick. Like that's like a part of your brain that doesn't usually get activated if you're a blogger or just in general i think yeah it kicks when i was a kid we had a ski club and all i wanted to do was go to the arcade in the chalet because this was back before consoles and stuff like that and now like i'm out on the mountain and the lodge sucks because it's always crowded and you gotta wait a fucking hour just to get some shitty chicken like tenders or whatever so mm-hmm. it's like i'd much rather be out crushing the pow and having yeah, a good time dude. with my bruise and all that well stuff. obviously have fun shredding the pow uh, you know, I, it's going to be hard because I'm going to be skiing after suffering a terrible injury. And I, I have to tell you about how I suffered this injury. Are you ready? Oh, this isn't the one I know about. <laughs> this is, this I, you don't, new. you actually, you don't know this story. I All right. This story. Uh, it was a few nights ago. I got up in the middle of the night to piss because that's mm-hmm. what I do. Yep. And along my way in the bathroom, I walked into a wall because that also happens oh, sometimes. Buddy. So I walk into a wall, I stub my toe. I'm like, ah, that hurt. You're like, uh, yep, uh, yeah, yeah, all every down dad sound all at once. Yeah, I take my piss, I go back to bed, I think nothing of it. I wake up the, in the morning, I walk to the bathroom. There are footprints of blood going oh, into no, the toilet. Jesus Christ! And I walk into the, I walk into the, the the toilet, and like the bath mat is like soaked in blood, and I'm like, what the fuck? And like my first instinct was like. Oh, okay. My wife had some sort of like accident relating to her cycle because that happens. I've been married twenty one years, and like, I I don't 
I don't give a shit about any of that anymore. Like I've, I've seen it a million times. It happens. doesn't matter. And it's also, in my state, it's also legal for women to menstruate. Alabama will be a different story a year from now. Jeez. All right. What happened but, to your toe? Let's let's stay focused on the people love the injury stories. They love it when they come at the start of the podcast. Sounds like but you they, don't like talking about a woman's time a month because it makes you a little squeamish. I'm just mostly raw. concerned about like your foot. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so my foot. So anyway, so I know your wife's okay. You would have mentioned. So anyway, so I'm looking at all this blood and I'm like, well, listen. You know, I, I like at first, I was like, I'm like, oh, maybe my wife, something happened with my wife. And then I was like, well, you know what? When something gets all fucked up in this house, it's almost always my fault. And so, and also, I'm looking at this bloody footprint uh, on my bath mat. It's like, facing the really toilet. big. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a full footprint. It was like it was like some shit you would see on like True Detective or something. All right. And so I I looked down at my foot, and my foot is fucking bleeding all over. So when I stubbed my toe, I don't quite know how I did it. I skinned the entire side of my foot. Oh my gosh. And I go back to the bed and I look at the comfort. I turn the comfort over. There is so much blood. It looked like like gigantic. Because the other thing is that I had a stent Like someone had in. discreetly removed the horse's head that had been placed yeah, in your bed, but told, otherwise- 100%, because the, the thing is that I'm on blood thinners because I had a stent put in in October. When you're on blood thinners, if you get cut- it takes like roughly twice as long for a cut to heal yeah. because the, the the platelets are you know take longer to get there. So when you bleed, you bleed longer and more copiously, vigorously, profusely in the gorilla monsoon voice. So there's <laughs> blood all over the place, and my wife wakes up and she's like, "What?" She's like, "What? What happened here?" And I'm like, "I'm." S- I'm like, I am so sorry. I, didn't mean to I wake was you murdered. Up. Apparently, yeah, I, during the evening, I, I had been murdered at some she point. She walks to the bathroom. She's like, oh my God, Drew, it's like all over the place. And like, we have to get, like, we have to get, she has to go and get, like, the the bucket of cleaning supplies. Like, we're you're cleaning up, up a You're fucking, looking up the crime scene cleaners. Yeah. And then, like, my dog who was sleeping in the bed, like, goes and nestles in the blood stain. And we're like, Carter, Carter don't do that. Adorable. Don't, don't hang out in the blood. And we cleaned it all up, and I bandaged it, and now my foot is is healing the way it should be healed. A lot of neosporin, a lot of band aids, but I, I, I think I'll be okay. I think I'll pull it off. That is, uh, I would say, you know, obviously there's a long list, and connoisseurs fans will have their own rankings. That's one of the more upsetting random Drew injuries, just because of the aftermath. Like, I'm glad that you're okay. Obviously. Everybody's number one. We all know what it is. <laughs> yeah, but there is. No. I've had it, worse accidents in the middle of the night. Yeah, That's also, sure. and they were grosser. But yep. this was, uh, yep. like, man, that is scary stuff. Um, you just don't expect right. to stub. You don't expect when you stub your toe for that to happen. Because no, how many times you stub your toe in your life? A fucking million, right? Like, yep. Worst thing that happens is like you kind of fuck up a nail, and like maybe it turns purple, like at the end of your foot. You you don't lose a pint of fucking blood. On the on the flip side though, I slept like a log the rest of the night. So <laughs> like the bloodletting, just fantastic yeah, for the rest. This is this is the new frontier, I think, that you might be if you decided to take up this mantle, there's a lot of money to be made in getting into like thirteenth century medicine on TikTok. Yeah. If you wanted to be like if you want gonna, are you having trouble sleeping? I'm gonna teach a class at U Austin uh with Peter Thiel. About oh. bloodletting and yeah. how compelling it's gonna be. He, it's gonna be great. He's like and delicious after everything you say. Yep. That'll be nice. Yeah. Just like licking his teeth, like as I'm just talking about my horrible gaping toe wound. So I had. We can talk about University of Austin if you'd like briefly. Nope. 
Nope. Nah, okay. Let's not do that. But it's, they do so. They're it's a real university now. I just liked. I just liked you sent me. I I read the story that you you posted. On. I just liked that it was called University of Austin and it was located in Dallas. That's yep. great. That's on like, Harlan Crow's office park. It really is. I don't know. Great stuff. Flawless. Uh, yeah, we can, well, there'll be plenty of time to talk about it uh, once I take over the basketball program at the University of Austin and instill a winning culture. Uh, I'll be giving interviews about it all the time. We owe people uh, talk about sports, even though there's no sports going yep. on. Just nothing. Just absolute dog shit. Like, like even like even if you like off season stuff, like hot stoves, like everyone like in front offices is on vacation now. Yeah. So like, there's nothing. The number going. one story in baseball right now is that you can see through the new uniform pants that yes! Nike had fanatics make. That is exactly what I want to talk about, because, <laughs> Roth, we're getting closer to baseball season, and right now the biggest story out of spring training isn't Shohei Otani joining the Dodgers or anything like that. It's the uniforms. Nike and fanatics have issued the players new uniforms that look ugly on camera and that the players, more importantly, fucking hate. They don't even fit right. They had to send someone to the Cincinnati Reds to get the fits Correct. Will this coming season, Roth, feature enough bad press to f- break the Fanatics monopoly, or is that just wishful thinking on my part? Well, this is like, I mean, this sort of steers into what we were talking about last week. And when I say we, I mean the thing that I spent 20 minutes with my eyes rolled back in my head screaming about during the that last was good episode radio. of the podcast. That. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that it. That was fantastic. But it's, I mean, this is a, they did a really bad job, right? Awful. Both those companies. Like, and- to be fair, uh, Amanda Mull wrote a good story about this in The Atlantic that's kind of like a good overview. We've covered it well, I think, at our site. But the long story short is that this is one that you can't put entirely on Fanatics, that they were the subcontractor. Nike basically designed this, made a lot of the decisions, and Fanatics didn't do a great job making it, as they generally don't. Like, you right. can see a lot of stuff where, like, the numbers don't line up or the letters or like getting much closer together at the end of a like somebody's name where they like started writing Justin Verlander and they thought they had a lot of space and then at the end it's just like the D E and R are mushed together into some horrible Greek character. Right. And like the names are like a full semicircle, like on yeah, the back. Just really and not even long names either. Like I remember like Nelson Santovania, like or like J uh what is it, Jared Saltolamachia. Like there's names that you can't get on a back of a jersey in a normal way. Yes. Justin Verlander's got a longish name. It's also like not the first time that name's been on the back of a baseball jersey. Surely you can not. do a better job. Yeah. But yeah. the this was some space age new whatever fucking technology that Nike wanted to make its jerseys out of. And they wanted not to have stitched on letters. They wanted not to have stitched on patches. And the result is jerseys that look like you would get them at a giveaway at the stadium, except for they don't have like the sabret logo on one of the arms <laughs> and then the other one and then the pants this is a new thing to me like appear to be like players have complained about the fit a lot of pitchers some of whom are men of ass have been like i can't fit my sizable ass into these pants why aren't they tailorable they also appear to be kind of translucent like there's a lot of fucking problems here enough that, that i have a really hard time as much as I have a hard time imagining anything impacting Fanatic's bizarre ascent to the top of global capitalism, I also can't imagine the players wearing these on the field. Like, do you think that this actually, like, in, like, June, we're just watching guys out there wearing this, like, shitty bathing suit material uniform? I I, I don't know. I, I That's what I think is. I, I want to know the answer to that because, just going back real quick, 
like sheer white material on any guy is always bad. Like it's one thing when like, you know, Samantha Fox is wearing it, but like when you like when you <laughs> have to wear Fox. like when you it's have to true wear like that a, naughty girls lead love too. Yeah, That's when you have to point. wear like sheer like white bike pants and like everyone can see your hairy ass like through mm-hmm. them. That's bad. You don't yep. want that. No, no guy wants that. But uh, back to your other point, I, you know, I have to hope it was it was the fact that the Atlantic is writing about this at all is good. Like it needs to be visible. Like I need people talking about this like on first take. I need people yep. talking about this on the front page of the Times sports section, which no longer exists. So I guess I have to say the athletic or the Washington Post. Like it has to become a national story. And then like Joe Biden has to like like come out on like his rascal scooter and be like, we, we, we have to get rid of these the fanatics, the fanatics. Kid, you see their dick, man. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> my yeah. boy, my boy, popcorn. You, you, can, you can see his cock. It's terrible. But also, you're right uh, that <laughs> Nike, uh, Nike deserves blame for this because they're getting into bed with fanatics. They they know everyone knows the deal with fanatics. They just like they're too busy being schmoozed by Michael Rubin at a white party to say anything about it, or they're and they're getting cheap production out of out of out of that company. And so Nike's like okay with it, but at the same time, you know, Nike themselves, they have to answer for not just the people they're dealing with, but their own aesthetic. And I, I want to go back because I want to go back to the the in-season tournament for the NBA, which no one remembers, but I remember it. I remember um, it pretty fondly. I think we all had fun, didn't we? It was, yeah, it was fine. But I remember that they had they had the final in Vegas and someone tweeted, and I'll I'll I, actually I have the tweet so I can credit them. It's Girl Boss Don Bigavelli. I don't think that's their real name. That's uh, the real name. It's Italian. And they wrote, "Unfortunate, we will get a Vegas NBA team at the lowest point of graphic design, and Nike's soulless rule of the league." In '97, we could have gotten a flaming dice going through a hoop. So, and I, I think about that a lot. I think about what graphic design in sports in total has become over the century and how it's fit in with a lot of the minimalist design that is everywhere now, like just Apple store aesthetic everywhere you go. Yeah. Restaurants, retail, the whole world and Airbnb, not what anybody wants. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, I just read, like, I just, I just read a fucking, a profile of the Bob's red mill guy in in the New York times. RIP to the legend. And like why his shit is selling so well in grocery stores, and it's because like the the packaging looks like it's from 1950 because it's just yeah. normal like silly packaging with a with a fucking bearded hat guy yeah. on the cover, right? And there's not any of that anymore. Like everything has to be like sans serif. Everything has to be like a plain background, and like it. Looks- <laughs> the word oats in lowercase letters with a period after it, like the same font they use for like hymns. Come on, right. now. Yeah, well, that's Respect the thing. Yourself. It's like I think everyone is so afraid of looking tacky. Or looking garish, that it takes a bit of fearlessness out of out of these designs. And look, I know, like, I know that my fashion aesthetic—it's all neutral colors because I can't even find fucking like I can't even find a red shirt at Uniqlo anymore. It's just nothing but mauve and like I don't know, light puce or whatever. So like, everything's been neutralized in terms of of color. But like, also, I I mean, like, I did work with fashion-forward people at GQ back when Jim Nelson ran the joint. Like, it's okay to be 
outlandish. Like, I'd like more of that shit. Like, I'm not, like, a big fan of, like, the original Raptors jerseys or anything like that. But, like, at least there's some risk involved in looking silly, and that's yeah. okay. Definitely the idea of a Vegas basketball uniform having that, like, kind of washed out. Like, you, you've seen the uh, the Utah Jazz uniforms where it's just, like, a Gatorade yellow thing, and it just says Utah across the front of it in, like, block letters. Yeah, and they're named the Jazz, man. Well, I mean, I'm not the first person to observe that Utah Jazz is an incredibly funny turn yeah, of phrase. Yeah, yeah. We all we, know. Like, we all know so much. Part. But you could you could festoon it in like half notes. You yeah, know? if you, you remember the way that the Jazz logo used to look, where it had the the J had the little sort of had the flag. Yeah. yeah, and it. I think in this case, like the drag of it is that I don't. I don't think baseball uniforms are. Uh, especially exciting right now they're not especially boring either like they've been better and they've been worse you know that like it takes a lot and i think everything that you said about the general sort of flattening and sort of like uh the <laughs> depressed vibe of the current cultural aesthetic all of that i agree with like i just think the whole culture is just sort of experiencing um anhedonia that you can see i think that's it it's not it's not that it's it's not that it's depressing it's that it's just very uh it's so spare yep right and 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 in this case i think it's like that sort of the idea of that understatedness standing in for actual taste you know that like it's the thing it like the way that i understand it like when you stage a house for sale and you kind of paint everything that like wan gunmetal gray and you put down the sort of uh temporary flooring and stuff the idea is that you're creating a palette for someone to imagine some other thing onto presumably right. they'll paint it a sh- slightly different shade of gray and put in a slightly less temporary flooring or whatever i feel like that's kind of everywhere that we're all in this kind of like placeholder cycle where we're waiting for some cool shit to happen and everything that's happening until then is permitted to be or desired to be as neutral as it can possibly be i think that's a bummer um and i agree with you on that i think that to get back to the 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 baseball aspect of it though that like i don't miss the toronto blue jays logo where it was like on steroids and like had a bicep or whatever you know like none of that is like (laughs) no one misses the 90s that much like even me and i was like i was uh way better looking in the 90s than i am now i think that there's Still, though, like that sort of like being bummed out, being flat, being boring, whatever, like that's the world we live in. Looking cheap, I think, is and also and this is something that Amanda Mall pointed out that I, you know, also pointed out about Boeing, about everywhere, that this search to like try to find what's the shittiest thing that I can sell you for three hundred ninety five dollars that you're going to be willing to get. That is like a finger in the eye that is much more direct than your favorite team's baseball jersey just looks like every other team's jersey now, you know? But I think it is, you're right to sort of link them in the same sort of chain of, you don't want to say like disrespect exactly, because I think it's more abstracted than that, but just like a sort of a lack of care and interest, I think like runs through all of this. That it's not just that the jerseys look boring, it's that they're like, they're not even well-made, they don't even fucking look cool. My problem is that they don't have to be well made because right, Fanatics exactly. has because Fanatics and Nike have this lockdown on everything, and that of course runs counter to the spirit of capitalism, which is that you know the best product wins. There's competition; the best product wins. So if Starter still existed, uh, you know, and was a rival to Fanatics, then if they made a better product, then people would buy it. They win, right? Like I have, yep. I have choice. 
when I don't have a choice, when I have to buy, you know, I can only buy official NFL merch from fanatics at the NFL shop. That fucking sucks. Like it's, yep. it's bullshit. So I have to buy a counterfeit from fucking like DH gate and stuff like that. And I think my problem, well, the problem's obvious. The problem is that, you know, this should not be allowed. It shouldn't be legal. It should yep. just be like, okay, like anyone can, like licensing agreements can't be this so exclusive as to be monopolizing. That's like, it's antitrust. Yeah. And it's also, I and mean, it has that sort of, I have my skepticism about the eternal laws and, you know, gravitational powers of capitalism. As, you? I, mean, I just, really? I know, right? Yeah, it's very, it's a real risky and edgy opinion for me to venture here on our podcast. <laughs> yeah. But the, <laughs> I still think that like the idea of like, if the idea is that you're competing on quality, then like theoretically that could have some benefit for the consumer. If you're not competing at all, if nobody is competing with anybody, like if Nike makes every uniform, Fanatics manufactures all of them from the on-field stuff down to the replicas, and that's it, and there's an exclusive contract, then, I mean, the same rules that say that if it's two things competing, they're going to try to do a better job. If you remove the second party from the equation, then this is naturally what would happen. This is like if you throw something in the air, is it going to come down or not? I mean, it's not like, and I think you want to talk about this. I can link it over to, to tech because I had to review the Vision Pro for SFGate. Um, and I was one of the people who I was like, cause I did a, a, a demo of it and I was like, this is fucking cool. Like, yeah. you know, like I, you know, all, you know, with all the caveats of like, okay, well, you know, it, we're, we don't want a future where everyone's living in a virtual world and not actually interacting with one another. Cause that's very bad. That's dystopian, blah, 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 all that yep. shit. But at the same time you strap these things, you strap the vision pro on and you watch a, a 3d home movie it looks like you're in a family's fucking living room. It's cool. And like, it is a better product, better iteration of that product than one that has been made by any other company because there was competition because Apple was like, well, look, we're going to do this. We're going to do this correctly. We're also going to sell it for a billion dollars and no one can fucking yeah. afford it. Or not it. sell it yet. But I mean, this is, if you think of it as like the concept car turning around on a weird little dais at the art show, then like, yes, then that's right. They did right. at least make a cool looking concept car, right? Or like, like if Tesla was the only people, were the only people making electric cars and they all blew up. And that was kind of the case for a while because yeah. it was only because either of the makers lagged behind. But now they're like, okay, we're going to make e-cars too. And they're much better than Tesla. Right. All of our panels line up. So like yeah. when it rains, there's not like weird water dropping down inside your car. That's our, so, that's the innovation we at Rivian are bringing to the product. Yeah. So if we can do that with, with cars, like it's very irritating to me that you can, that can happen with cars, but it can't happen with a fucking $200 football jersey or a fucking baseball jersey. And that the fucking players don't have a choice either. Like. Yep. So I was uh, reading a thing earlier this week that, I thought was interesting. It was, um, I'd have to find the actual website and I, I'm not going to try to do that right now. A woman who wound up writing a book about working, uh, at sort of like a, not a fulfillment center, but like unloading trucks and about working in temporary jobs. And a lot of it is about the ways in which like temporary jobs suck in the United States and the way that that's been sort of like weaponized against workers, keeping people under this level where the company would have to pay them healthcare, the sort right. of the way the hours move around. All of that is bad. All of that I think is, is decently known to people who bother to know about stuff like that. The point that she made that I thought was interesting and worth underlining though, is that, you know, so these people are getting paid $12 and 50 cents an hour. They show up at four in the morning to unload a truck. 
they unload it, and then they spend the rest of the day shelving the stuff. The point that she made, and this has been my experience at every shitty job that I've had, is that everybody, despite the fact that they were being subjected to this bummy workplace where their hours are getting moved around, they're getting manipulated such that they can't get the insurance that they need or the benefits that they were sort of promised, they still broke their ass to get the truck empty as fast as they could and to get stuff on the shelves as effectively as they could. That is just, I think, how, and you could talk about whether this is conditioned or whatever, that's how you work when you have a little bit of respect for yourself. Everybody that, I mean, like, even in a job that doesn't respect you, you're going to try to do a good job at it. Yeah, you you take pride in your work. Exactly. Any any smart person does that. And I think that that's, I don't want to, you know, the people that are making these jerseys at the Fanatics facility, it's in Pennsylvania, it's the same place Majestic used to own it, which made a million jerseys that I have in my closet. I don't think that those people are trying to do a bad job. They're not. I don't even know that the people that were trying to develop this like moisture wicking performance fabric in Nike's, you know, underground dry fit bunker, I'm sure they were trying to do a good job too. At some point though, you get to this level where people, not only do they not care, their whole job, their whole incentive is to care less, to do a worse job, to do like the minimum acceptable quality. And I feel like there's something infuriating about that at a level that like we keep sort of poking at it from different angles here you don't want to buy a shitty product because it makes you feel shitty to pay money for something that doesn't work or doesn't look the way that you want it to look yeah well your money's worth right also you don't want to only have one choice and have that choice be bad yeah that's 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 my thing and like and so i don't i don't know that any of this like i feel like it's all latent that there's like a real possibility there but i don't think that people have really found the shape for it yet but there's a lot of experiences day to day not just buying a jersey but like go to the fucking walgreens and you have to ring a doorbell and wait for someone to come unlock the toothpaste whatever it is nobody asked for that shit you know (laughs) so like roth crime the crime yeah with so much shrinkage but it's like at some point if that's all the doing of some executive who's basically like messing with you, like trying to see like how much you're willing to take before you just, I don't know, order it from Amazon and possibly get a bootleg product or whatever. Like, what do we do about that? That's the bit to get back to the, the fanatics question. I don't want to move off the, the Apple thing entirely. Like, no, it's okay. Where does it go? Like, like, can you, so you said that you've like just basically been buying stuff from other manufacturers like bootleg i guess is like the word for it but it's yeah it's counterfeit it's probably a better product it is a better product yeah it's a better product it's even better than the shit the shit that ruben sent to my house the high-end telling me yeah you so you've talked about this now right like you wrote about it yeah i I wrote about it for sf gate he and people that came to the live podcast in new york have heard this story too but do you want to tell it now now that it's like out there for everyone to know about let's take a break and then i'll come back and i'll read the note okay good stuff so uh, before we cut to break uh this week's episode is brought to you by the american kohlrabi lobby did you know (laughs) that a single serving of kohlrabi contains 500 times the niacin as an entire box of twinkies you probably did. But that's no excuse to ignore the kohlrabi in your Food Mart's produce section. So don't be snobby. This Easter, make kohlrabi your hobby. We'll be right He's back. right. He's right.
Hey, it's true. This episode is sponsored by Factor. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie-smart, vegan and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. You get two-minute meals. You can fuel up with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat up and eat whenever you are ready. You can sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian-approved to be nutritious and delicious. You can get snacks, smoothies, and more, discovering a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. In fact, Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily, and it fits your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. So head to factormeals.com slash distraction50 and use the code distraction50 to get 50% off. That's code distraction50 at factormeals.com slash distraction50 to get 50% off. The distraction is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. In a lot of cases, the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges people face in all of their relationships, whether with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone else. Therapy is an important tool to consider if you're looking to learn positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself, even if you're someone who hasn't experienced major trauma. If you want to try therapy but you're not sure where to start, BetterHelp is a great tool to keep in mind. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime you want for no additional charge. Getting along well with your therapist and feeling like you can really open up to them is such an important part of what makes therapy work. And being able to switch therapists for no additional charge is one of BetterHelp's most important features. Start off your new year right with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash distraction today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash distraction. And we're back. Okay, so I, I promised Roth I would read the letter I got from Michael Rubin, a fanatic. So just so I, I'm going to make this as quick as I can, because I wrote about it for SFGate. I wrote, for Defector, I wrote, fuck fanatics and fuck Michael Rubin. That's the headline. That's, That's not the gist. That's that was the headline. <laughs> yeah, the gist of it was was that, too. Uh, and then a week later, I'm at home prepping dinner. Uh, I popped a gummy, pretty stoned, this knock on my door. Open it up. There's a big dude in a cheap suit, and there's a big black SUV sitting outside my house. And he's like, he's like, are you are you Drew? Or he's like, are you McGarry? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, Michael? And I'm like, no, my, I'm Drew McGarry. You got the wrong McGarry. And he's like, no, 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 you're McGarry. I have something for you from Michael. I'm like, I don't know who the fuck Michael is. And you don't have like a box on you. Like, are you, have you been sent to kill me? Anyway, he goes back. He's like, hired goons. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He was <laughs> a hired goon. And he goes to, to the SUV and he doesn't take out a shotgun to blow me away. He takes out a box and it's got the Fanatics logo on it. And I roll my eyes because I'm like, oh, fuck. And inside is this are four jerseys, four Justin Jefferson jerseys uh, that are of different levels. I'm not even going to get into that. And a note, a handwritten note from Michael Rubin that my wife said was definitely not a man's handwriting. 
So I'll read you the note. The note, Drew, read your article, and I want you to know I sincerely appreciate your feedback. Like mm-hmm. you, I also enjoy making fun of myself. I assume we're both easy targets. Just want you to know there are four levels of jerseys. You bought the entry-level one, so thought it would be helpful to see the difference between the jerseys. So here are all four levels. Enjoy them. We've run the NFL shop since 2006. One of the things we've done is broaden the range of products available to fans, including more levels of jerseys. We want to make sure fans have product choices that offset the impact of inflation and royalties paid to players and sports properties. In other words, it's the player's fault. Yeah. (laughs) In addition to this broader assortment, we still make all the same jerseys that we used to make in the same Nike factories. Lastly, there's nothing I care about more than our customers. I feel lucky to do what we do every day, and I care deeply about the feedback. Also, I completely agree with your point around customer reviews, and I'm pushing my team to get them ASAP. It's dumb that we don't have them now. For the, I'm just going to pause for a moment to note, there are still not product reviews on any Fanatics website. And this, this, this came to me in September. Uh, P.S. I did think about making a citizen's arrest for you openly buying counterfeit merchandise, but then decided to go back to my job and focus on being better every day. LOL. Please swing by the office to say hi if you're ever in NYC. Sent with love, Michael Rubin. So what a nice guy. It's terrific. It's like kind of a threat, but he's also kind of flirting. Yeah, I mean, the the I know where you live uh, aspect yeah, of it, we, it kind of kind of overrides everything. You know? Yep. I mean, so I've been in. I guess it's the fanatics offices. Uh, really? I, yeah. Wow. So a mole. So what, I've been in the the new offices of Tops. Uh, our buddy of mine, I guess he's buddy listener of the podcast, Andy Elric. I, I did a podcast interview with him in those offices. We were talking about baseball cards. Uh, and he knew some guys there and I used to work at tops as I mentioned every third episode, whether it needs to be mentioned or not. Um, but those offices were down on Whitehall street down by the Staten Island ferry in lower Manhattan. These are far West, uh, in the West village and the offices are very, uh, state of the art. They look really nice. Is it like meatpacking district like that West? No, it's kind of weird. It's like street, but like, so like, this is Great shit for everybody that's not been to New York, but it is like basically two blocks from the the Hudson River. Okay, okay, okay. So I think that like they probably do, they are as ambitious as they seem. I don't know that he's quite as passionate about his customers as he says that he is. No, he's not. I mean, like we talked about pride in your work. Well, you get to that level and the pride in your work is just the pride in the profit margins, right? Yeah. Because so that like, is your work, I guess, when you're an executive. It is. You know, it's yeah. like if you're if you've got a sewing machine, your job is to sew right. And if your job, if you have an office, then your job is to somehow fucking hit seven percent every quarter, whether you like some way or other. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, there are some jobs like if you're an investment banker, your job is to make money. Like that's like, and to make your clients money too, and all that stuff. Uh, and that you know that makes sense because that's purely you work in finance, you know. But if you are selling jerseys to me, and I don't want those jerseys to fucking suck ass, and the only reason the fucking name Jefferson was spelled right on the back of those jerseys is because Ruben sent that directly to my goddamn house, right? Yep. Otherwise, it would have said it would have said you know it would have said Washington on the back or some right. shit. Right? The E's are threes somehow. Yep. Yeah, hundred percent. Total. Yeah. Total retrospect. I mean, there. they haven't necessarily nailed it with the uh, actual professional grade stuff. So let's let's give it. Uh, Let's give it some time. Let's see if we can see a guy take the field for a Major League Baseball game with uh, multiple letters in his last name reversed. 
Yeah, and if you are a Major League Baseball player and you fucking hate your uniform, please come on the show and uh, talk about how it like it gave you a wedgie, and like like you know people could see people could see your nipples protruding. Yep. Uh, very through. very disrespectful. Very very disrespectful. <laughs> and we're gonna move on uh, to the the fun bag. We were gonna talk about gambling, but we have already. We've already gone through the uh, the problems <laughs> Dy- with dystopian things. capital yep. portion of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've 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 wallowed in this in this swamp for 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 two weeks now, and I'm going skiing, and I yep. I I need to. Uh, if you want Drew's opinions on gambling, you can read this week's fun bag. That's he right. Wrote, wrote about it at the top. I did. And if, and if you want my opinions on it, just imagine how I would feel about an app on your phone that takes $100 from you every Sunday. How would how would somebody with my politics, as you understand them, would they like that? You're I right. Think, I think they might. It's yeah. freedom. It's freedom. Yeah, it depends. Right. I guess it depends where it's going, you know? We have, we have a voicemail to get to, but first I actually want to do an email that we got. This is from Matt Roth, and this is a very, very important question. Matt writes in, first time, long time. I am a seventh grade teacher in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Yes. And we are starting a podcasting unit in language arts. They will make Mm -hmm. a single episode on a topic of their choice. What advice do you have for a 12-year-old that I can pass on about making a podcast that people actually want to listen to? Thanks and love the show. Matt, I have no fun. Yeah, we should. This is one for Eric to answer. Neither (laughs) Drew nor I has any understanding of how to do that. Uh, I... You know what's funny is that I've been doing this, I've been doing this for over a decade now, and I think only recently have I not said um quite as much. Like like when you start out, like you talk, like you normally talk. So lots of ums, lots of cutting yourself off, lots of likes. I still do like a lot. Just I do too, and I need to pay attention to, I guess this is basically, <laughs> this is the lesson that I have. I think it's the one that you're starting is... Try to think about what you're saying as you're saying it or before you say it, preferably. Like for me, that's that's basically it. If I'm saying like a lot, it's because I'm too loose and I'm I'm ahead of myself. Well, the other thing is and the kids don't say like anymore. This is uh yeah, I'm sure. Because yeah. we say it and like my kids say it because I say it, you know? It's like yep. they learned it by watching you, Dad. Sad, terrible. Um what I would say is that and this carries over back from when we were uh, a different production company, but there was a time when I was doing this podcast where I literally did not prepare. Like I was like, like the the show rundown. Like I had a show rundown, like a word doc, word document, but like the bullet points would be like single words, like Super Bowl and like yep. stuff like that. And uh, we worked with another producer named Brandon Nix, uh, who said, you know, you should you know write out your questions and think about what you're going to talk about. And, you know, we, we came over to Multitude and Eric and Amanda there, you know, they wanted us to, you know, make it even more organized. And so we have it organized now into segments and like, and pre, like, like people were always like, oh, why do you introduce the fun bag with the same copy every time? I mean, that was Multitude saying, look, listen, it's someone out there. It's going to be their first listen. They need to know what the fuck you're doing. So it's like, you just, you, you have to have. Uh, if you just think about what you're going to say, but write it down too. So you write down notes because you want to talk naturally, but you also want to kind of have an idea of, of where you're going. So it's in that sweet space between, uh, I know, I just said, uh, uh, you're you know, allowed to say, uh, I know what we're, I know what I'm going to talk about, but I am not restricted to just reading off of a script at you. Cause you know, you'll, 
you'll know right away if I'm if I'm doing that, that would be bad. Yeah. This is I think this is I actually that's a good point. That the the thing that makes podcasting work, and this can be at a highly scripted level, like with a normal gossip or at one that's more on the the hangout level of things like ours. It sounds more casual than it is. Like this is as with any other product, you know, that like with a movie or with, you know, people know because it takes months to shoot something that winds up being, you know, 95 minutes. But there's the work that goes into making the stuff sound unrehearsed and, you know, like, I mean, we don't rehearse, like we don't record this before, you know, like we don't run all the lines. But I guess that aspect of it, in order for it to sound natural, you have to do work. Like, you can't just sit down and, and do it and expect it to hang together, unless you're um, editing it very ambitiously. And also, like, if you're... I assume... I assume that every kid in this class will have a partner, right? They won't be, like... They won't be doing the podcast by themselves. You can't... That's, like, that's an impossible skill. Like, that's there's, like, five ins- people on Earth who had that skill and one right. of them died like four years ago. That's like right? training someone to be mentally ill, like yeah, making yeah. them watch, but like just watch five hours of Mike Francesa talking to people on the phone and then try doing that. Yeah. How hard could it be? You need someone who, you know, who, with whom you have a good rapport conversationally and you know, you, you're excited to talk to each other because against all odds, Roth, I'm excited to talk to you. Every oh, week. same, it's very, man. It's very fun. And uh, uh, the other thing I would say, is I think that kids are more prepared now for this kind of shit <clears throat> than we were because there were no podcasts uh, when I was growing up. I mean, I listened to Stern every day and all, and I learned everything from Stern. <laughs> right, I did. He was, yeah, he, no, I mean, it's true. It's just funny to think like that's how you become guy. normal. Listen yeah, to- he's, still, he's still my hero. Um, but, you know, like my kids... Like, if they wanted to become professional YouTubers, they learned how to talk like YouTubers when they were, like, three. Like, yeah. I have old videos of when I would take a video, they would sort of, like, they would conduct themselves in the video as if I was going to post it to YouTube. So, like, I had I had, a, I had one of my son, he got a train set, and, like, he starts talking, he's like, guys, these are the bloopers or fails, what have you, of the trains here oh, we go. Boy. And like, he would crash the trains. And so like kids are already, uh, part of blogging and podcasting and vlogging culture. So they sort of know those cues and those beats already. So my guess is that, you know, if a 12 year old is making a podcast, it won't be the first time they've listened to a podcast. My kids are assigned podcasts in school. Like, wow. Really? Yeah, yeah, like they're part of the they're part of the curriculum. My wife listens to podcasts for like health and like and how to be a better parent and stuff like that. So they have there's there's a utility to podcasts that is being used right now. It's like I'm sure this one is being taught at Medill uh yeah. in Northwestern like obviously like we we are we are the gold standard in that regard. Uh that's why but, we bring our A game every time. You know, the more exposure you have it's it's not unlike writing. Like, what do they tell you if you want to be a great writer? They say read, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Same deal. Listen. You listen. Don't. I mean, you should listen to me just because I'm awesome, and you should hear about my stuff too. But yeah, you should also you should also think critically course. about if you're listening to something and you don't enjoy listening to it. Think about why you don't enjoy listening to it. Why is it bad? You know why? You know why do I hate Colin Coward? Well, because his voice is annoying and he's a fucking dipshit. You know, yeah. like you gotta. 
It gets you, better when you see his face, though. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Oh, Fun bag. So, <laughs> Sorry. So, Hans wouldn't kick him out of bed. It's the nuts enough. Eric, let's play a voicemail. <laughs> uh, hey, guys. Uh, I'm a mailman from a certain Western town. Uh, way up in Omaha. Omaha, Nebraska. And I was... Uh, I want to rebut the idea of of gas station pizza, of bad pizzas, and uh, what about breakfast pizza? Mm-hmm. Sometimes breakfast pizza is the best pizza, and especially if the sauce is nacho cheese, so your bread cheese tomato sauce argument uh, somewhat gets thrown out the window um, but I would say it gets enhanced in this sense um, anyway thanks guys Roth, have you ever had a breakfast pizza I've had a piece of pizza for breakfast but it that, was not nah, designed explicitly with that in mind no that doesn't that doesn't count I'm talking about like because I know what a breakfast pizza is. Like, it has eggs and sausage and shit like that on top. But it's just, so it's basically a, a this is going to sound obnoxious, like a deconstructed egg sandwich. Like, it is like bacon, egg, and cheese, but on a... on a Yeah, like an open-faced egg sandwich. Yeah, that's probably right. So yeah. that... It's probably pretty good. Yeah, it does sound kind of good, right? I think you'd have to eat it with a knife and fork. The idea of folding a bunch of scrambled eggs in half and putting it in my mouth Ratso Rizzo style, like I do with a regular slice of pizza here in New York. Uh, Sounds gross. Yeah, but would you eat a breakfast taco with a knife and fork? No, because it's a taco. It's a taco. So what's the fucking difference? The pizza has got eggs around it. There's all kinds of things in a taco. You eat a taco, you hold it in your hand, you try to keep the stuff from coming out. A breakfast taco has eggs in it. I know, man. In it. In it. Not on it. Well, if I fold, if I if you're fold about the a slice of calzone, pizza, sure. You want to talk about a breakfast calzone? Sure. No, no. If, if if I fold a slice of pizza, then the ingredients are in. Yes, as if but, it were a taco. Yes, but can you do that with a breakfast? Pe- you've had, so you've had breakfast pizza. Uh, no, I'm speaking. You've heard tell here. of breakfast pizza. I've heard tell of breakfast pizza, and I have to say that that when he mentioned nacho cheese, I that gave me a start. I was like, mm, I don't know. But if it's if it's serving the purpose, I don't know about nacho in there. But in like a, if it's serving the same role that it does in a breakfast sandwich, then that cheese is there. That is food glue. That is like fat that holds other fat in place, and maybe that makes point. it more sustainable to eat. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think uh, the thing that would concern me is again who makes it. Like if it's coming from McDonald's, that's not gonna gonna do it for me but like i'm looking at some breakfast pizza like google images right now mm-hmm. i'd eat the fuck out of all of these these yeah. look, these look pretty good from a gas station though mm, let's see what i mean i feel like there's a lot that i mean i don't even have a car like if i'm talking about gas stations i'm talking <laughs> shit right like i mean I've, I've used them before i've like driven a car but i have not it's not a part of my day-to-day so i don't know especially in like i think There's like a robust culture of like good food getting served at gas stations in the United States. I know this exclusively through fucking Triple D, honestly. Like, I don't think I've ever taken advantage of it myself, but I'm like willing to believe 
that there's good breakfast pizza. Yeah, there's there, like you know? a there's like a bitch and taco bar in like a shell station. Yep, like ten miles from my house. Like it 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 happens, and like and foodies have noticed that. Like there's been shit in eater, and like other you know, and like Bon Appetit or whatever about like cool gas station food. Like that yep. that has happened. But I'm Guy talking Fieri about like you know the Seven Eleven, yep. you know taquitos and all that. Yeah, that's another one that you can get pizza at Seven Eleven. Um, but. I've been sort of fascinated by the 7-Elevens in my neighborhood. They seem to have like a noticeably worse energy about them than any of the other shitty delis do. And I don't understand what that is or how that managed to be the case. Probably because like uh, if I'm in New York and my choice is between a neighborhood convenience store and a 7-Eleven. I'm going to, I'm going to assume automatically the neighborhood convenience store is better, right? So do you think it's just that the 7-Eleven is just selecting for the biggest, like the freaks that wouldn't make that calculation where they're like, well, that place is much brighter lit. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's the store people, like real New Yorkers aren't going to want to go in. Like if you're like, if you're from like cow America and you're visiting New York and you're like, oh my God, it's so scary. There's homeless people here. Oh, it's very scary. And you see like a 7-Eleven, you're like, oh, oh, finally, something just like home. And you go and you're like, they got, they got Sour Patch Kids. And like, you're happy, but like, that ain't, that ain't real New York. Like I want, I want the bodega with like, like wrapped up, like donuts that like have been there for like a week that's you fair. know they don't have taquitos there i should say but no probably no. for the best uh this is from rogelio <laughs> who writes in what was the largest in-person gathering of people to ever witness two or more people having sex in human history meaning that the people doing it were in the flesh in front of them so things like movies don't count was it attendance in the hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands? How long ago do you think it took place? Feels like it should have taken place in antiquity. And yeah. yet I also wouldn't be shocked if it happened much later than that. That's a good question. It's like it happened either in Rome or yeah. in like 1977. Like, don't you think like Caligula like bones someone in the Colosseum? Like, I'm sure that that happened. But also like if the idea was that like it happened in, what was the name of the, plato's retreat like those like in the 70s before they invented like oh, good yeah, restaurants yeah, yeah. when that yeah, was like the, clubs yeah the best thing that you could do was like get real dressed up and then have sex on the worst couch imaginable <laughs> well like other people were around being like very nice in a place like a fucking dark room for like yep. photo development and stuff like wow. that I mean, if imagine if <laughs> they hadn't invented good restaurants, like people would still be doing that. I'm sure they still are, but you know, like they now have, people are sort of like, I think I'd rather just go to dinner than that. Uh, there are like in modern, I don't know how I know this Roth, but I do know that there are <laughs> erotic, uh, erotic what? Like erotic conventions, like particularly oh, in other yeah. countries too, that where they have live sex shows on stage. And okay, so I would say any any erotic con- any convention can become an erotic convention if you approach it with the right mindset. Or like a porn movie where like there's like a boxing ring and there's like a bunch of gross guys around it, and like it like two people are having sex in the middle of the ring or something like that. Like there's like like sort of like sport porn. Oh like, yeah. Oh like oh can you know can. Can this guy? It's, you're good. You're good. You're good. I got you. <laughs> so, and then they peel back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, the point being, I I don't think I think thousands is easy to easily done. I think thousands is an easy answer. Tens of thousands, like filling Madison Square Garden, yeah. that <laughs> seem in modern times that does not seem possible to me. In like in antiquity, 
I think maybe because what the fuck else you got? Yeah, to do? Say, people used to fill Madison Square Garden to watch like people just ride bicycles in circles. Yeah, you know? that like yeah, like there was no Vision Pro back then. Yeah, like, you you had to like you were bored. It is you funny know? that I have the parts of this that are more challenging to me is like coming up with the size of the venue where I was like, all right, so Madison Square Garden, no, like where a lower end, where Fairleigh Dickinson plays their regular season college basketball games. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Sure. Okay. What is that? 2,500 people? Maybe like that. But I'm going straight to the venues instead of being like, what are the circumstances under which this would happen? Right. Because How- you can't like remember the couple boning in Sky Dome, like in the bleachers. Yeah. Like- that doesn't count because everyone there was there to see the Blue Jays play, not to see two people bowling. That was just like a bonus. Like, oh. Iconic 90s memory. Look what they yeah. took from us. I know. So I, I, I have to think that it was – also, the other thing is that back in antiquity, you could get thousands and thousands of people to come gather in an arena to see someone stoned to death. So I got to think that you know the happier side of that equation uh, – <laughs> Would have to be would have to be accounted for. Yeah, that's what I think. That's a good point. We should do another question because that's a weird note to end. <laughs> I don't think so. I thought that was great. The stone bone binary. We're all we're all aware of it. Uh, we can end there if you'd like. I know. You no, already, no, I'll have one more. Sorry. Andy writes just in. Put, you, he put his ski goggles on while he was giving that answer. Yeah, I know. Andy writes in. If everyone you've ever talked to in your life gave you five dollars, would you have a million dollars? Have if you everybody talked to- that I've talked to in my life? And you're, that you talked to in your life, gave you five bucks, would you have a million dollars? Have you spoken in person to 200,000 people in your lifetime? Wow. Probably. I think so. Do you? I don't know. I'm a big, I'm a talker, man. I love, uh, I love small talk and I love bantering with people. Are you, uh, are you a raconteur? Did I I'm not? I'm a bit of a flaneur. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I've never known what it means. I, do, I don't know. I mean, I think that that's like, if you figure... 200,000 people is a lot of people, right? It's a lot. So if you t- if it's everybody that I ever was like, hey, to at a party, like, is that Phil Bryant Denny Stadium twice? Yeah. Possibly. And imagine if they were watching your bone, you know? Yeah. Right? Fantastic. What an honor also to do it. <laughs> Where Jalen Milrow works his magic, the chance for me to work mine. Eric Silver <laughs> is our producer. Brandon Grugel is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defector.com. Right now. Just go to Defector and hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com or even call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-Panera0. We will see you when I'm back from vacation, Roth. Yeah, Goodbye. have fun out there, man. Be careful. Have fun. Yay. Bye, everybody. See bye. ya.